This is a billionaire's in boxes production. Hello and welcome to this edition of Billionaires in Boxers. As always, I'm your host, Phil Paluccia. Today, I'm joined by a very special guest, Chris Fox, who is joining us all the way from L.A. We were having a nice chat in the virtual green room about the joys of southern L.A. with uh, its lack of sun. I think Chris is trying to sell it to me, actually. Maybe I should move there. But uh, Chris and I have recently started working together, so I wanted to take the opportunity to, to introduce you to Chris. He's a fantastic guy. Uh, there's a line on his website and on his LinkedIn, which I think sums him up very well, which is making complex concepts simple. And I love that, buddy. So welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Phil. It's really, really great to be here and uh, excited to uh, have a, an excellent conversation with you as, as I have as we've, we've talked about this podcast uh, in the past. I'm really looking forward to continuing the conversation. Mm, no, me too. Me too. And, and you know what? I think... I was having a look before the show at, um, I mean, I had a list of questions that I obviously wanted to ask, and I was having a look at uh, what a lot of the questions are surrounding thought leadership. And I think there's a lot of confusion around thought leadership as well. There's a lot of, what does it look like? How do you sound like a thought leader? How do you become a thought leader? What is a thought leader? So, But before we dive into all of that, I'd really like our audience just to kind of get under your skin a little bit, understand you and and who you are, because you've had a, a fascinating journey. So um, if we may, let's start right back at the very beginning. Let's let's start with the education and, and, and entering the corporate world and, and what that looked like. So take us right back to the beginning, Chris. Sure. So this is going to sound like we're we're really switching gears at some point in midstream. But uh, I actually started my uh, professional life as an academic. I got my doctorate in French literature, and I was a specialist in the 19th century novel specifically. Oh, wow. I taught university uh, for two years, and I decided uh, over the course of those two years that the academic life really was not a great fit for my broader personal aspirations, my preferences for the kinds of professional environment that I wanted to work in. So over time, I transitioned myself into first some administrative rather than faculty roles within the university. Uh, and then I moved into the business world with uh, some positions at consulting firms. And, and those positions were very much, as you might think, someone who was a literature PhD would be very interested in content and writing mm -hmm. in the world of business. Uh, so over time, uh, you know, through professional experience and through a, a range of promotions, I became the director of user experience and content strategy at an internet consulting firm. And uh, from there, I decided that I wanted to launch myself even further off into space. And I formed my own company. And so I formed my own company called Synchrosys. In 2007, we've been going strong ever since. And uh, as you suggested at the beginning of the conversation, the focus of Synchrosis is thought leadership strategy. We are a thought leadership and communication strategy firm. And just so everyone knows, you know, our the, the focus of Synchrosis is exclusively within this world of financial innovators. And I know we'll talk about that a lot. So that's it's the bigger banks. It's the fintechs, companies doing really interesting things. Mm. But everything that I talk about in terms of thought leadership, you don't need to be in the world of finance, banking, or fintech for it to make sense. It, it's still, I think, going to resonate with a wide range of people. And, and when we talk more about thought leadership, I think it'll be pretty clear why that is. Mm. 
That makes a lot of sense. In fact, I do want to ask a question then, actually, because it's one that, that I come across quite a lot when you you sort of compare the the academic world, if you will, to to the the business world. Um, I remember when I graduated, I got told, "Great, now you know the theory. Now you're gonna have to go and learn how to do the job." <laughs> um, right. Was was kind of how it was positioned. How did you find that shift then, going from the sort of the academic? Um, the academic aspect of looking at how this stuff works to actually applying it into practice within the world of business. Yeah, you know, I think it's a it was a, a fairly seamless tradition for me. I've always been very lucky uh, in the companies that I worked for prior to starting my own, and and certainly within my own company, uh, to work with people who have a bias for a very thoughtful and rigorous approach to whatever topic it might be. And all of those skills in terms of being able to digest huge amounts of information, uh, really think them through, push forward on the issues and, and what the true implications are, those fundamental aspects of the academic discipline actually translated incredibly well to the professional environment. And I think they've served me in good stead to the point where I am now. Mm. Uh, one of the things I would say, ironically, People would warn me, oh, you know, when you get into the business world, it's just going to be so much tougher. It, it was the exact opposite. Honestly, the professional it. atmosphere inside of an academic department can be, I mean, let, let's just say it right out. It can be outright vicious. Mm. Within the business world, there's almost always at least some sense of there's an underlying stakes, right? Mm. If, if you are generating results and generating profits within a business, there's a certain grounding to what you're doing. Whereas in, in the academic world, you're really just competing over these very amorphous political stakes. It, it's uh, mm. not necessarily the most healthy environment. In fact, it can be downright toxic. And I, I found comparatively, despite what everyone would warn me about transitioning to the business world, you know, people in the business world sometimes will warn me, oh, watch out for that situation. It's very political. And I kind of laugh. Like, you have <laughs> yeah. no idea. What I've dealt with, it, you know, even as a kind of a you know professional baby dealing with uh, dealing with some of these things in my earliest career, um, I am very much hardened to those types of issues and, and very familiar with how to get around uh, the you know the difficult personalities and the kind of the interpersonal squabbles. That's really interesting. Then, so you found that sort of ed that world of education to be far more political than the business, and, and almost far more cutthroat by the sounds of it. Yeah, far, far more cutthroat. I mean, I think ultimately people in that environment, they probably don't see themselves this way, but, but they're competing over far lower stakes. Mm. And because there's really less to fight over, the fighting is a lot more vicious. Mm, I can understand that. So it becomes a lot more kind of a, you're fighting over much smaller things or in, in business, you can, you can pick your battles and, and actually there's quite a lot that you can do that, uh, you know, it, I always see business as a team sport and by collaborating with the right people, you know, I've certainly found that in the world of business, there's a lot more collaborating than that goes on in other industries. So prime example, I have um, uh, a sister who's in the performing arts industry, very successful within the performing arts industry as well. And it's so cutthroat. I mean, I, I look at business yeah. and they say, oh, isn't it risky being an entrepreneur? And it's like, no, it's risky being an actress. Trust me. <laughs> like I've, I've seen how that goes. Um, I can imagine. I can imagine. So yeah, so actually, I can. That's a really interesting. That's a really interesting approach, and I can. I can already hear that you'd been bitten by that entrepreneurial bug. I know people sometimes have a have a funny 
thing about the world entrepreneur because it's been it's been used and abused by so many now but an entrepreneur in its purest form for me is somebody who's unemployable somebody who can't sit still and work <laughs> in a business now they've got to get out there and do it for themselves and what's interesting is that you can see that progression even through your career you know starting in academics then moving over into business and then and then wanting to do that for yourself um there will be yeah. some people who will you know the idea of leaving a a salaried position to start their own business is terrifying it seems far too risky whereas there are other people like you or i who say well actually the risk is in having one salary because if they make me redundant my job disappears then it's gone whereas if i have my own business i can work with different clients different markets different industries and i can spread that risk yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. And to to close the loop back to academics, you know, if, if you're not happy in an academic environment, it's not as if you can just go start your own university. It's true. Whereas that's in the world point. of business, you can be in a position where you, you feel you've accumulated enough experience, you have a solid enough of an idea. Well, I'm going to go out on my own and do this. And you know, I've I've actually made that decision uh, not not once but twice. And in, in in the midst of of running my own company, I was given kind of a. a interim full-time offer with uh with one company and it was it was an offer that was too good to say no to and i I, you know i took it and i learned so so much during that time but i ultimately realized that you know like you said i i was able to function within that environment Um, Mm. so i wasn't exactly unemployable but i was in a position where it just clearly wasn't what i wanted to do or or where i wanted to be so that transition then into from academic to the business world and then to uh, to being an entrepreneur, did that coincide with the move from the East Coast to LA? Did that come afterwards? Did it come before? You know, what what did you move no. for work, or did you just decide that I can work anywhere and this is where I want to be? No, it was, it was really more the latter. So um, I had actually uh, been working from home since um, mid two thousand five. So I'm, I have someone who compared to what everyone experienced in 2020, where they realized, you know, well, all the situations that prevent people from going into the office. Um, I've been doing that for 15 years. I'm so familiar with all of the different parameters and nuances and, and sometimes weirdnesses of <laughs> virtual collaboration. Uh, but sure. because of that, I, I was able to make a choice uh, in 2012 to move to Los Angeles. I, I used to live uh, on the East Coast. I lived in the uh, New York metro area for many, many years and uh, found myself coming out here to Southern California to visit more and more. Uh, ultimately, it was like, well, what's really, what's the difference? If, if I'm working from home anyway, I'm already serving a, a global client base. I'm already doing uh, phone calls and meetings at, at, at any particular hour of the day, depending mm. on what my client needs. So why not do that from somewhere new? And uh, the timing was right. The timing was well, right in my personal life as well. And let's be honest, somewhere warmer. <laughs> um, that, is, that is very true. That is very if you, true. If you're going to do this, you might as well do it somewhere that's constantly 10 to 15 degrees better off. <laughs> it is uh, it's definitely a true statement. <laughs> no, I'm so with you. you no, know, I, I agree. I mean, I've, uh, I'm I'm somebody who chases the sun. Um, in fact, I'm quite proud of the fact that prior to coronavirus, I hadn't seen a winter for about six years because every time it got mm. cold in the UK, I would disappear back off down to Cape Town again and go and follow the sun because I'm somebody who that vitamin D really does charge my batteries. So I uh, 
I can understand. And I enjoy being able to go to the beach and out to the mountains. Table Mountain's probably my favorite place to go. I've yet to go traipsing into the desert, which I know is something that you do enjoy doing, though. It is, yeah. I mean, that's 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 one of those other things about Southern California is that you can uh, you have everything that you might want in terms of being in a in a major global metropolitan environment, li- living around Los Angeles. But within a couple of hours, you can be out, you know, truly in the middle of nowhere, where you've you've driven off into the desert. You were on a dirt road, and then you're on a thing that's not really even a road anymore, and you just keep going and going and going, and eventually find yourself. Um, it, in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by mountains on a dried out lake bed, there is not a sound to be heard other than the sounds of the wind and the desert and, and a bird here and there. And, uh, you know, I, I really love doing it. I find that it's, um, you know, emotionally and psychologically very cleansing. Mm. And, uh, and it's just a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to really run around in the desert and do whatever it you want. It sounds very peaceful. Yeah, it sounds it, it's it, very it, peaceful. Yeah, I mean, and and you know, getting back to nature and recharging your batteries is key because I think, you know, it's it's very easy to get, especially when you're working from home. Because I think as a lot of people have found, again, like you, I've probably been working from home for not not quite as long, but for about ten years or so now, and. and it's that balance of it's very, very easy to fall into the trap of you're always working because there is no divide between home and work. You know, you used to come home from the office, take off your jacket, take off your tie, and you were now home. But you lose that that divide, um, I think, when you work from home. And it's very easy to get caught up in just a constant cycle of work. So I think taking that time out to go in and really kind of do some some recharging and get back to nature is is an important one. Yeah, I learned that lesson the hard way when when I was still living on the East Coast uh, and I just started working uh, from my home office exclusively for the first time. And uh, you know, this is obviously a long time ago, and the, the the detail will tell you. So, so I went up to the top of my sidewalk. At this point, I was living out out in the suburbs, uh, and I realized that there were four newspapers at the top of the sidewalk, which meant that I had not actually left my house for four days. Wow. And that moment of picking those things up, and I wondered, you know, why do I, why do I just feel so strange and anxious and everything just feels kind of off kilter? Um, all of that was why. And it was, it was really that moment of picking up those four newspapers, that kind of instant realization of this is wrong. This is not how you do this. Correct. And it, it really brought me to a point of thinking much more intentionally and in a much more focused manner about balance. And, and I actually bring that balance to the way that I work with my clients too. Mm-hmm. You know, I, we very much focused on doing good work and doing hard work, but keeping that balance so that, I mean, ultimately I think ba- balance brings calm and calm brings poise and focus. And that mm-hmm. informs the quality of uh, people's thought leadership. And it, it also informs the quality of how they treat each other. I can certainly relate to that even from a personal perspective. So the the, the real game changer for me when I realized this was I'm, I'm a real giver. So I love to just give, 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 give. It's it's it, it kind of fuels me. But what I realized was if I didn't rest and take care of myself, I really didn't have that much to give. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the, the value that I provide somebody at the end of a 13-hour day is not the same value that I'd have provided them three hours into the day. Um, and, and I think you have to start recognizing, well, actually, it's not just about giving as much as you can. It's the quality that you give as well. And 
and you know it's taking that time to reflect and, and really sit back I, i'm curious yeah. i, I want to ask how did we get from french literature to fintech then how did how, that that does not seem like a natural progression you know it, it really doesn't um i can explain it in in a number of complicated ways but you know french literature or really any any kind of literary studies you're not just dealing with a literature you're dealing with politics, you're dealing with sociology, you're dealing with all sorts of elements of philosophy, uh, thinking about human behavior. Um, there, there are just so many dimensions to it that, that it really is every single piece of, of literature that you read, it's like an ecosystem. Mm. And this might seem like a really weird stretched metaphor, but that's the same thing for any kind of financial product. I mean, the, the world of global finance is so intricate and so interesting. I, I'm mm-hmm. not sure if the similarity is at the level of, well, it, it, that makes it resemble literature, but it's the way that I got there is that I'm always fascinated by things that are structurally complex. And as you were saying okay. at the beginning of this conversation, what I love doing is taking these things that are incredibly structurally complex mm. and boiling them down into something that is compelling and interesting. And so when I look at fintech, I mean, fintech is a great example. It's not the only industry that does this, but within fintech or you know, doesn't necessarily have to be startup disruptive fintech. It can be something that a big global bank is doing that's innovative. But you know, if you really think about it, a, a product or a service, it, it's it's also it's a bundle of ideas mm. and it's ideas about how things should work and and a novel or any other piece of literature in in a weird way is also an idea about how things are or how things should work mm. and what what really interests me about the world of finance is that you know it's it's not just an idea but it's an idea about making something better it can be like a big idea like cryptocurrency is an idea, but you know, we, we can dispute some of the merits of it, but ultimately it's an idea, a big idea about changing the way value is exchanged between people and the way value is stored. Or yeah. it could be a really small idea. Like, you know, when, when a corporation issues a bond and all those bondholders, how do they get paid and how do they comply with their regulations? I'll tell you just from my own experience with clients, that's like a big messy process. And there are people mm. out there with ideas about how to make that better. And I, I find that really exciting. And, and somehow or other, maybe the tie isn't a hundred percent clear, but it's, it's really the point of connection of dealing with things that are, that are enormously complex, all combined down into this one thing, whether it's, whether it's a piece of literature or whether it's a, a fintech product or a service. And it, it kind of encapsulates all that complexity and represents an, an idea for doing something better within it. I actually think that makes a lot of sense. I think that probably does answer it, actually, because it's. I had I hadn't thought of it that way at all. But it's the to fully understand a piece of literature from a certain time period. It didn't just come to be in isolation. That person didn't, you know, never leave their house. It all came from their head. This has social, political, economic. There's there's lots of different mm-hmm. influences on this, and actually. You, to understand 
a period. You, I mean, t- take example, you couldn't read a book from the 1920s or 1930s from Central Europe without factoring in what was happening in terms of the fact that World War One has ended and World War Two is not far away. And there's all these different political things that are happening. And there's the, the Soviet Union that's doing this. And you've got communism on the rise here compared to capitalism that's happening over here. And you, you can't look at a piece of literature in isolation. You have to understand the time period and understand what was happening. And actually, when I when I think about, I mean, as you know, I've, that's kind of how we came into contact. Was I do, I do a lot of work with fintech over in Southeast Asia, particularly in Singapore, who who have that. I'm going to say desire, that burning desire to be the financial mantle of the world when it comes to fintech. You know, they want to well and truly overtake Hong Kong when it comes to the kind of the established banking uh, royalty, if you will. Um, but one of the things I often find fascinating about them is that they have such incredible ideas, but they're so complex, they really struggle to explain them to, to mere mortals and to their ideal customers. Um, because often the people who are involved in the very beginning of a process are these very intellectual, very intelligent, very complex-minded people. But customers don't buy complex things. Customers buy solutions. In fact, they buy it based on the ease of how easy it is for them, not how complex it was to design in the first place for the institution. So I can actually see how those things come together. I think that makes perfect sense. Yeah. You you were talking earlier about this idea of making that transition from theory to practice. This is almost the opposite transition of you know the, the types of people that you're talking about, those fintech and engineers, and whether it's in Southeast Asia or anyone else in the world, they mm. have an engineering mentality, which is very practical. It's, it's not theoretical at all. Mm. And it's almost like taking, taking the opposite approach of taking their very practical and detailed and complex understanding of the inner workings of a particular platform and simplifying it by putting this layer of theory around it that makes it accessible and interesting to people who are they're, they're looking for a solution to a problem um that's, that's exactly it I, I find that really fascinating i think that, that, that know, hits the, the, the other i was gonna say i, I think that hits the nail idea. on the head actually doesn't it because i think if you if you what you've just said there really does hit the nail on the head because it's a case of the customer isn't going to buy something because of what of the functionality they buy the results they buy a solution to a problem and and often with with you know, and I can say this as a, as a surveyor. Often, the engineering type mind is more the 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 actual process, the functionality, the things that they brought into place to make this happen. Whereas people don't really care about the function at all until they can understand. You know, some people will want to know why. Other people don't even understand how the internet works because it doesn't matter to them. Provided the Wi-Fi is working and they can log on, they don't need to understand why that web page is loading or how right. that transaction is happening. That's very true. No, those, those those are really good points, and and you know that's thought leadership itself is is a solution to a problem in that way. Mm. That makes a lot of sense. It really does. So so how do you when it comes to content? Then so as you know, I love content. It's been a big part of my life for for well for for the foreseeable, and and it has been for for many many years. Uh, how do you do that then by way of content? How do you what's the difference between a normal piece of marketing content that's educating your market on what you do and a thought leadership piece of content? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. So, you know, there's certainly a lot uh, out there in the world around this broader idea of content marketing and content marketing can be anything. It can be video, it can be podcasts, of course. 
Uh, it can be brochures, websites, landing pages, email campaigns, social media, you know, all, all of those pieces of content marketing, you know, they have different functions. So a lot of general content marketing, it's about one of two things. It's either about catching attention. I'll talk about that in a minute, or it's about features and benefits. Thought leadership is really different. So if you go back to what I was saying earlier about every product or service, if you turn it inside out, is also an idea about the world. And specifically, it's an idea about change. Uh, what thought leadership does is it actually takes that idea about change and it brings it out to the surface so that people understand. You know, we, we, we keep using this idea of a solution, but solution to what? Thought leadership is what explains the thing that it's a solution to. A lot of times, especially in these complex financial areas, people understand at a general level the, the messiness of a particular process or a particular way of exchanging, you know, just like a particular way of exchanging currency, for example. Mm -hmm. um, but they don't necessarily understand the root of the issue. And thought leadership brings that back up to the surface. And it allows people to communicate not as delivering a product. That's important, but it's not the only thing. It's also, it'll, it allows people to communicate as an agent of change. Mm. And that's really the difference. It, it doesn't work in isolation. But if all you were doing was social media and you're really good at getting people's attention, and then after you've gotten it, you've had no, you have nothing to say. Very true. Then it doesn't really it doesn't really complete the uh, the equation. The same thing mm. with you know with with content marketing that's more like brochures focused on features and benefits and conversions. It's it's great if you're able to offer that value, but again, when it's something that has this this complexity where you're not just asking people to consume a thing that they already know that they want. Mm -hmm. But you have to change their thinking and move your own industry forward in order to get there. Thought leadership does that. And it, it's actually, you know, so some of these things that I sound like may sound like, oh, that that's like, it, maybe it's interesting, maybe it's not, but it seems so theoretical and, and so out there. But research has actually been done on what thought leadership accomplishes in the business to business decision making process. And, you know, I've, I've, this is not research I've done myself. This is research I found from external sources, but mm -hmm. I think the data are really, really worth bringing out. So 90%, that's like basically all business decision makers say that thought leadership enhances a company's reputation. So yeah, do you or do you not want a, a better reputation as a business? <laughs> yeah. Hopefully the answer is you do. And now you significantly raise the odds. So, it's more than that. Reputation sounds great, but but maybe you're just more of a numbers person. You want it to, mm. you know, convert into into uh, money in the bank. Well, fifty eight percent, same research, say that thought leadership has an influence on their purchase decisions. You know, do I go with competitor X or competitor Y? Well, fifty eight percent are influenced by the thought leadership, and forty nine percent, so basically flipping a coin, will say that the thought leadership has a direct influence on whether or not they choose one company versus a competitor. If you've convinced me with the quality of your thought leadership that this is a problem that I have, that your solution is inherently better, more advanced, more functional, more appropriate to my needs, 
then yeah, I'm certainly much more likely to make that buying decision. And 42% of people will actually even pay higher prices for services when they perceive that company as a thought leader versus not. So if you want to be the commodity service that's completely interchangeable with any other company that provides something similar, then don't do thought leadership. If that's Mm. not where you want, if you want some kind of premiumness and exclusivity and differentiation in your brand that justifies a higher price point, well, that's that's where you get that 42% who will pay higher prices for, for perceived thought leadership. So, so that's some data, and there's actually a punchline here, which is that a, a separate industry study went out there and asked people questions about whether they thought the thought leadership that they were reading, think, things that are called thought leadership, you know, is, is, is this content any good? And, and only 15% of them thought that the thought leadership they were reading was either excellent or very good. So there, there's a lot of mediocrity out there, but the stakes are so high. The mm. stakes are so high. I actually have a theory on that. Um, I, I, I'm, and it's interesting. So, so you, you're coming at this from, obviously from a thought leadership perspective. I, I often talk to people about kind of becoming an influencer within their industry, and actually that term's kind of been ruined now because obviously when you say influencer, you kind of think social media influencer, like Instagram people with large accounts. When I talk about an influencer, I, I, I mean the, the, you know the the definition of the word from the dictionary who are you influencing and how um and it's almost that being a pioneer in your industry but the, what what fascinates me is that you get a lot of people who are uh certainly that i would say have the caliber caliber to be a thought leader they know a lot of things they understand their industry they know its heartbeat they can see the problems they can see where it's going but they have imposter syndrome when it comes to putting themselves out there and actually saying this is where i think the problems are and where where, where i think we're going Meanwhile, there are other people who are quite happy to take that risk and put themselves out there, but they're almost doing it from a vanity, vanity or, an, or an egotistical perspective. And it's about, I want to be seen as number one in my industry. I'm not really, you know, I, I've had it with people call me and they say, I want you to do podcast publicity for me and get booked on shows because I want to be an influencer in my industry. And I say, well, who do you want to influence and with what? And they don't have an answer because what they actually mean is I want to be famous. Um and and it doesn't surprise me that it's a, it's a fascinating stat, but it doesn't surprise me that it's 50, around fifteen percent of of the content that's out there is actually really that thought leadership adding value, and the rest of it is just people who would quite like to be perceived as a thought leader. Yeah, no, that that's right. I think there's it's a it's a very very uh, subtle line to cross. You know, you you can believe in yourself as an influencer, or you know, I typically frame it as you, you can believe in yourself as an agent of change. But, but mm-hmm. somewhere on that spectrum are things like just having this bizarre messiah complex or, yeah, as you yeah. say, simply wa- simply wanting to be famous. And they're, they're part of the same spectrum. But I think there's a place on that spectrum where you want to be, where you are authentically changing something grounded in a belief that you have about something better in the world versus purely going for it for the attention. And you know, as I said, mm-hmm. if, if, you, if you get attention and you don't actually deliver value at the other end of that attention. You know, obviously there's plenty of people who've done quite well doing that. That's, mm-hmm. That is not the world that I will ever operate in. I'm, I'm like no. you in that, that sense. Very much so. I mean, for, for me, it's about, you know, I, I have a saying and you've heard me say it before, which is the day I stop learning is the day I stop earning. Um, and to, to be able to learn from people, you have to make sure that you're learning from the right people. But And I think so many people have that imposter syndrome thing where they're almost, 
they're well they're not almost they are worried about people disagreeing with them um but actually i was given a great piece of advice by uh actually it's one of the billionaire mentors that we have on the network which i'm very proud of um and and he said if people don't disagree with you you aren't digging deep enough um and i thought that that was a really that. interesting point because there will always be people who don't want you to dig that deep into the problems because if you highlight the problems in the industry that's going to force them to have to change it yeah i think that's i think that's a really great observation you you can really you can try to coast along the surface and and never go more than an inch deep but you're not going to get very far that way so for anybody who's listening to this then that thinks okay I know a lot about my industry, but I, I wouldn't consider myself a thought leader. When you're working with people and you're having that discussion, how do you how do you categorize? Okay, you're somebody who would be a suitable candidate to be a thought leader in your industry. You're probably not. Is that a is that a length of tenure? Is that a how dig deep they're deep di- digging? Is that a, a a a specific knowledge of a particular niche or market? What what does that look like in your mind? Yeah, I think there there are a few ingredients to it, and 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 you've listed some of them, but but let's just kind of circle back through them. So certainly, experience and tenure in the industry helps because it gives you that frame of reference to understand what it is that you think you're changing. If you know if you're coming in out of nowhere and saying, "Well, I'm going to come in and change the way this whole industry works," uh, it it may not really be grounded in. A reality that that's sufficient to uh, might cause a lot of turbulence, might eventually generate results, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not really going to be particularly influential if it feels like it's coming from so far out of left field that that no one wants to follow that change along with you. Uh, yeah. So it's so it's that it's that industry relevance. I do think it's a depth and a specificity of subject matter expertise, um, and and that can be at different levels, right? So that can be someone. Um, you know, especially in a, in a medium or larger organization who is in a, a product leadership role. And so this person, he or she, truly the subject matter expert. And, and that subject matter expertise can be in something that is pretty arcane and pretty complex, especially within the world of financial services, which, you know, as, as we know, has just so many layers of complexity underneath oh, of course. it. Um, so... That, that subject matter expertise is a big piece of it, but, but you can also be a thought leader from more from an executive high level visionary point of view as well. So there's, there's thought leadership that goes very, very deep and there's thought leadership that goes very, very high, but it's always moving up and down the Y axis. You know, if, if it's moving mm-hmm. on the X axis of just which way on the surface are you going? That's where I think it, it doesn't really translate well into thought leadership. And, and that doesn't mean that you have to go shut up. That means that you just need to think about different strategies for communicating the things that you want to communicate. Mm. Actually, I'm going to touch on that. So that communi- that strategy for how you communicate it then, how do you combine that thought leadership process in terms of the content with making sure that it also fuels, let's say, business growth, for example? Um, you know, I, I remember a piece of advice I was given many years ago that there's been many people go broke trying to educate their market. Um Right. How how do you how do you get that balance right between not wanting to be pure marketing rah 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 buy my stuff, but also making sure that that thought leadership is doing those things that those statistics suggested that it can do for your business? Yeah. Well, I think that's that's where um, you know I can stand behind the value of of my business as a consultancy that helps clients first of all 
figure out what their thought leadership strategy should be. And then because we have that deep expertise in financial services as well, we can actually deeply and intently support the creation of the thought leadership. And the reason why I'm making that kind of mini plug for my own business is it connects the dots because what it does is it allows the subject matter experts, you know, whether it's these, the CEOs or these other C-level executives or people mm-hmm. that are, you know, pro- product leaders, it lets them focus 95 plus percent of their time on doing exactly what you just did, all, doing all the money making activities mm. and allows them to rely on a, a partner such as Syncrasis to develop and push forward that thought leadership. So I, I think you know, thought leadership doesn't mean that you have to completely change your commitments and stop leading your business, stop innovating, stop doing X and just start talking about it. Mm. If you do it well and you really think about building the right type of partnership, a partnership that's based on you know a high degree of touch and connection and trust between you and your thought leadership partner, you can just go so far while not losing touch with your core business. And your mm-hmm. core business activity is, you know, as you say, it's, it's the day-to-day needs of the business. The people that I work with, none, none of them has a job of thought leader. They, sure. they have very, very specific and different jobs for generating revenue, generating products, generating value for their companies. Mm-hmm. And it's having that supplemental support of, uh, you know, mentor, coach, strategist, writer, all those things that are behind you to develop the thought leadership. It, it gives you so much more leverage. So if a C-Lev ex- executive was to come to you then and say, okay, look, I've been working in the industry for a number of years. I, I, I do have some pretty st- strong opinions on where I think the industry is going and, and what the problems are at the moment. Where would you begin with that strategy? Is it, would you, you know, would you try and help them to narrow it down into a niche? Would you do that in terms of geographical reach? Would you do, do you try and conquer the whole world at the same time? What, what does that process look like? Yeah, so so the answer really depends on the type of expertise that they have and and their overall focus. Um, what really starts off the entire process is the kind of conversation that you were just alluding to. Whereas we get in there and we we really talk about well, you know, what what are those ideas? What are those thoughts that you have? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a very interactive conversation where you're you know you're really working with the thought leader to push their thinking forward uh, to, you know, to understand the different dimensions of their thinking, how mm-hmm. they got there. Why, you know, why, why do you think that one, that one of the most powerful questions in a thought leadership consultation is why do you think that? Mm. I love that question. You just I was asking, actually just, you I was ask, just thinking that very same question. Enough, yeah. You ask it enough and you, you really start to get to this place where they, they start to see where it is that their ideas are differentiated within their own mind. And then, and then the other component of this, of the thought leadership strategy is a little bit more stepping behind the scenes and saying, okay, that's great. What else are people saying about this topic? Because there, there are very few topics that you could find that there isn't at least someone, one other person talking about in some way. The, the art of it is finding the white space where what you are communicating is stands on its own. It's not being compared to, um, to anything else, but stands on its own is still, but still relevant stands on its own, but still relevant. It's, it seems like a paradox, but that's, that's the place to be. 
I th- yeah, that's the sweet spot, isn't it? I mean, I, I have a saying that I use, which is your vibe attracts your tribe. And I think this is this encapsulates that perfectly because, you know, you, you're you going to find out where the, the, the gaps are in that wall that they're building. Let's put it that way. Because um, if you keep asking, right. and why do you think that? Why do you think that? You know, correct me if I'm wrong, but eventually you're going to get to the point where somebody says, you know what? I don't know. <laughs> like, we finally yeah. come to the end of my thought process of this, and you're now challenging me to go further with that. And actually, that is interesting because at some point, you, you are going to go from speaking to an audience of people who, you know, you're 10 steps further ahead of them in terms of this thought process. But at some point, they're going to take some more steps and someone's going to ask you about step at 11 and 12. And if you don't have an answer, you know, the, the work that you've just done for that thought leadership stuff now goes, oh, so you only really knew that bit, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that's very true. And, that, and that, that actually ties back to why I decided several years ago to have the company and my own work so exclusively focused on fintech and financial innovation. Because prior to that, it was a little bit more of a generalist. I, w- I was doing finance and banking. I was also doing some some work in, in the healthcare sector, uh, in the education sector, as you might expect with my background. Um, that, that was all really great work. I certainly enjoyed it. But being able to dig deep into the financial topics means that you are, I mean, in some ways, you're, you're just a better conversation partner for that potential thought leader because you can ask them even more pressing questions and you have better awareness of, well, is, is that really thought leadership or are you really kind of saying something very similar to what the rest of the market is saying? Mm. And the, so that the, the, the focus turned out to be the best way for me to deliver value to the clients. Whereas the, you know, there are the, the deep skills around communication and thought leadership, and, and those are transferable across many industries. But having the industry focus, I found really added a level of nuance and depth to the conversations that I could have with clients. And so I made that decision, you know, let, let me let me, me get really focused with their topics so that I can deliver better value throughout, you know, whether it's the strategy mm-hmm. or whether it's, you know, de- developing content on their behalf. Well, as we would just say with those questions, if you didn't have that understanding, how how would you challenge their thinking deep enough to be able to really find out where those gaps are? I mean, if somebody started talking to me about the automotive industry, for example, it'd probably be a five minute long conversation because I don't know anything about it. Not we're not going to go very That's deep, right. are we? Um, That's exactly right. I'm going to ask you a bit of a bit of a, a direct question because I, I, I what I love about this thought leadership process and this conversation is that you can't call yourself. A thought leader somebody else has to call you a thought leader and as much as you know it's 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 other people's perspective isn't it as to whether or not you're a thought leader you don't really get to assign that title to yourself it's kind of like the people who call themselves experts the real experts cringe That's at right. that title because it's like well the industry changes so quickly how could i ever be an expert um but i'm curious because this could work for so many different you know, types of businesses, even within the financial world, in terms of fintech and banking and the major banks and the, the startup fintechs and everybody in between. What's your sweet spot? Who is it that you know when they turn up on your door, you go, this business, this person is exactly the kind of person that I can get to that, that status? Yeah, so so typically the, the sweet spot, it's, it, it's been a challenge. It's, it's a challenge for... Um, any kind of like database driven business development because there, there's no such category within all the industry databases. It's not like I can say, you know, yes, I work with 
credit unions and community banks, or yes, I work with uh, fintech startups that I can find on Crunchbase or, or AngelList. It's, it's something that ties all of these different things together, which is, is this company truly a financial innovator? Are they doing something that in one way or another is changing the way some corner, whether it's a big corner or a little corner of the global financial infrastructure works? And if that's mm-hmm. the case, which you find out, I mean, it's, it's pretty easy to have that conversation with someone who's already within the, the broad area of finance. Um, once you find that out, that's really where it's like, you know, you've got two magnets and either you, you put the magnets together the right way and they click pretty easily. If you try to put them together the wrong way, there's just a lot of resistance and then they don't actually connect. Um, that's, a good that's yeah. really the, the, the magnetism is really that issue of are you truly a financial innovator or do, do you want to change the way the financial infrastructure of, you know, the, the entire world basically do the way it works? It must be quite a proud feeling for you as well, then, because obviously you're you're having a significant impact on the industry. Because by working with these people who who should be heard and helping them to develop a strategy and a communication strategy that's going to allow them to 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 get that point out there, um, you know, you're you're able to not only identify the people who are going to have a major impact on the industry, but you're having a major impact on their ability to reach their audience. Yeah, you know, I never, I never thought of it that way, but I, I suppose that's true because, you know, I, I really do believe that, you know, what, wh- whether you like it or not, ev- everything in our entire world has some component of finance to it, and mm. some of those things may seem like I'm pushing it really, really far. Like, well, it just, does a tree in a forest have finance to it? Well, probably because that land is either owned by a private or a public entity, and somehow or other, there is a finance component to it. But, you know. More, more like the everyday things. Like I'm, I'm picking up a uh, a plastic pen from Muji, and it's you know, so it comes from Japan, and it's made of plastic, and it's got ink in it. And I picked it up in a store, and I paid for it with my credit card, and it's sitting here on a table, which also has all these different interconnections in into the global financial system in terms of how that thing got here into my hands, mm. into my house, and. To me, that that's just so fascinating—the yeah. the way that every everything you touch and see has all of these different webs and connection points into the way the global financial system works, and and the fact that there are these trillions upon trillions of dollars that are flowing around the world at all times that are invil- invisible to us—it's like oxygen, yep. the oxygen of of our culture at this point. And as I say, you, you can like that or not like it, but it's true. And it's fascinating to have some degree of involvement with people that are bringing innovation to that process. And, and that's why I love working with it. And also it's, you know, you, you mentioned learning before it's, it's learning every time, every time I work with a new client or mm. even when, as I work with existing clients and, and see the areas that they're pursuing and focusing on, I get to learn something dramatically new. Yeah. Like, Oh, I didn't realize that people were doing this by, by pooling together, um, different types of, of debt in order to make that debt more secure in the market. Or, oh, I, n- I never realized that you could apply this type of technology to making lending decisions. Or, you know, I could go on forever about the examples. But, I love but you know what I mean? It's each, each time you get to learn about some other aspect of how, um, you know, how this financial world that, that under, underlies everything we do, how that world works. 
It is fascinating, isn't it? It's almost like going down the rabbit hole of opportunities as well, because as you learn something new, I, I know this from personal experience, it's like pulling a thread. You know, you you you'll somebody will share something with you, the light bulb will come on and it's like, ah. So but if that's happening there, then that means that there's gonna have to be this, and then that's gonna have to feed into it, yeah. which means that this market could then potentially do this, and it allows you to then start looking for the the well, let's 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 probably not the phrase you would use, but like a future thought leader. It allows you to start identifying the great. Well, if that happens, that's going to have a knock-on effect here. So who's going to be the thought leader that makes the necessary changes and drives that innovation on this part to support the next level of that progression? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it really does come down to you know to those types of things. I mean, really, really simple questions like, well, how, how do I have a checking account? And, and what is that money in it? Like where where is that money? What if, yeah. how does it work? And most people just, just like take they take it for granted. Like we take everything else for granted in, in the world. Yeah. And once you start to learn all of the stuff that goes into it, it's just it's so fascinating. And I'm sure anything else like that is fascinating too. Like I don't I don't know what happens when I flip a light switch. I just mm. know the lights go on. Um, it's kind of the same thing. I don't know what happens when I make a purchase with a credit card. Mm. Well, now I do. It's it's crazy. It's so fascinating. It. And there's people that are doing all these, these these interesting things to try to change and improve it and make it more fluid. Um, so that's, well, well, do you know what that I can fully relate going. to from a from a because obviously I'm a surveyor by trade. So my job was to take a very very complex building and break it down into a basic formula of this amount of glass plus this amount of bricks plus this amount of man hour plus these many people results in this gorgeous building. Um, but how many right. times do you you know you turn up to a hotel or an office building that you probably work in every single day? You get into that elevator and you go up and down and not once do you think about all the different components that came into place to make that happen and the deals that had to happen to make that even the things like the brackets on the doors on the elevator you know if you really get into the detail of this you start to go there's a lot of complexities here but i never see that i see the end finished product and i think that takes us right around in a nice loop doesn't it in terms of the the that I like the fact that the thought leader is the bridge between the innovation that is happening and explaining to the market why it's happening and what's going to happen as a result. Uh, I think that right. that education piece is extremely important because otherwise nobody ever moves forward, do they? Because you know you have to you have to understand why the progress is happening and and what what the benefits are for you for this to happen in the first place. Mm-hmm. And I think in that sense, it actually you know the, the, the thought leader who is a practitioner within their industry, taking this thought leadership approach to the work that they do also helps reinvigorate their energy around what they do. And it makes you realize, you know, you can do all this stuff on a day-to-day basis and you can forget, well, why does this really matter? And thought leadership actually gives you the opportunity to indulge that joy of, oh, this really does matter for these Mm -hmm. reasons. I mean, I, I could think of myself as someone who spends a lot of his day writing content about the world of financial services and then there i am like typing at my keyboard and, and you know work, working on my word processing um that could be pretty boring but when you actually start to ask those thought leadership questions around what is it that you're doing and what are you changing that's where you get the kind of energy and like in, the, in this yeah, conversation for sure if this conversation was was about how i type i think we would have stopped a while ago or at least people would hope we had. Yeah, and absolutely. meanwhile, we're talking about something very different. Mm. Even though, like the the mechanics of it are, yeah, like really, I spend six to eight hours a day typing, 
That's that doesn't sound yeah, very exciting. That must be so exciting. No, it must be though, because you're but, you're sat but, typing something that has the potential to result in billions of dollars worth of transactions globally happening in the future because of something that you help somebody write and put out there. That's that's a tremendous amount of influence and responsibility, and I think that's that's really powerful. Yeah, and I and I I really I mean, aside from enjoying the work and all the things that I've been saying about uh, you know being an agent of change and and influencing and impacting the way the global financial system works. I think there's also just like this fundamental human joy to it. And I, I love that dimension of the way that I interact with, with clients is that, you know, being able to interact with people at the level that they're excited about the things they do is, mm-hmm. I mean, that's like, I'm, I'm just so fortunate. I'll just put it that way. It's, it's really amazing that, that I'm able to do it. Chris, I love this, and and I'm so glad we're working together, my friend. I'm I'm I love what you're doing. I think it's such so powerful and, and such important work for people. Um, thank you so much for coming and adding so much value. I can't believe how much the, the time has flown. I told you it would fly by, didn't I? Yeah, um, you did. You it, did. It, it, it absolutely does. Because when we go down that rabbit hole, you know, I keep saying we should almost go Joe Rogan esque and just sort of do like a three hour thing. Um, maybe, maybe we'll save that for next time. Um, for anybody listening to this who has is kind of got through and is like no don't stop don't stop how how can they get in touch with you and if there is anybody who is listening to this thinking i'm in the financial banking sector and actually i'm you know i mean i'm I'm empowered by this conversation would like to kind of explore that thought leadership piece where where should they head to chris yeah so um you know certainly you can find me on uh linkedin or at my company website so you know on, on linkedin i'm christopher g fox uh, the company is Synchrosis, S-Y-N-C-R-E-S-I-S. Um, I, I guess that'll also be in your podcast description. Absolutely. Also, you know, just, just, just go to Synchrosis.com, um, contact me through that or find me on, on LinkedIn. And, you know, I, I would love to give people, especially people that are, that are hearing this podcast, um, a, a taste of this kind of work, you know, see it for yourself, see, see what it's like. Um, uh, you know, there's so many ways in which, it's hard to achieve that clarity around who you are as a thought leadership because you're doing the day-to-day needs of running your business. Mm-hmm. And um, you might not think of it as being a change agent, but you are. And what I'd like to talk really quickly about is this idea of a thought leadership strategy boost. Because I think what I can do is, if you're hearing this, if this sounds like what you want to do, what you need are the tools and the inspiration to launch and accelerate your thought leadership, whether it's your personal thought leadership or your company's thought leadership. And, and not only that, but the momentum to actually do it and carry it forward. And, and so this particular boost, there, there's a few things that come with it. It's a one hour brainstorming workshop with you or, and the other thought leaders in your company to do. We were talking about that thing. Why do you think that? Why do you think that? You can actually experience that process for yourself. Wow. Um, then three one-on-one discussions with thought leaders in your company. There's, there's always more than one. So there's the, there's the CEO or the founder. There are people that are doing on the, more on the technology side or more on the product and marketing side. Three separate one-on-ones that, that push that even further. And then what we'll do for you is actually take everything that you've said and package it as key messages that allow you to tell a consistent thought leadership every time and will fuel your thought leadership. We'll give you six topics with actual titles. So you could go off and write some, some content on these titles that are the optimal topics meeting the optimal content objectives 
for a thought leader in your very, very specific space. And we'll also give you uh, recommendations for, you know, exactly what do you do with that? So should I put it on Medium or put it on LinkedIn or what What do I do? Based on, on who you are and what you're trying to communicate, we'll give you that answer as well. And then finally, you know, we, we talked about how do you tell whether someone's an innovator or not? If you're an innovator, if you're interested in this boost, I'd love to help boost you. And I'll feature your company on my LinkedIn profile where I have a network of, of over 6,500 influencers in, in fintech, banking, investment management, more. And um, that's that that would be a great way to help cap off that thought leadership in terms of just introducing a little bit more of what your company does. So so that's a package that you can find on my website, uh, the Thought Leadership Boost. Uh, if you mentioned that you heard about it on this podcast, uh, I'd be happy to extend a 10% discount to you. That's very generous. So, um, Thank you. you know, go ahead and, and take a look on, on my site or... Just reach out to me on LinkedIn if you want something a little bit more formal. Just ask a question or two or, or have a quick conversation to see if, if thought leadership is right for you. I love talking about it. You could probably tell from I this can. conversation. I love to talk about it. And anyone who wants to have that conversation with me, please reach out. Chris, it's that passion and I, and I love it. You know, I'm a big believer in business is a team sport and you have to focus on your position. So if you're really great at scoring touchdowns, you want a great quarterback who you know has got your back and is going to put that ball where it's supposed to be and show you the gaps of where you want to run. You know, the, the great thing about a quarterback is their ability to be able to read the game and see where the opportunities are and, and help you to make the most out of that. So I think you'd be the, 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 the perfect man to have in a difficult situation, my friend. So um, I really, great. really hope that the people have taken so much from this. I'm, I'm absolutely confident they have. Uh, I would highly, highly recommend that people go and check out that booster program. Um, I think that conversational, I mean, sounds like there's a lot of value there but that conversation alone about the the why and finding out what that in what that thought process is what your what your opinions are what your views are and where potentially the opportunities are for you to to vocalize that within your industry that sounds extremely powerful to me so i would highly recommend that people go and check those out the day descriptions will be in the show notes below so definitely go and check those out um definitely connect with chris on linkedin as well go and have a look at the work that he's doing it's phenomenal stuff um Chris, thank you so much, my friend. We'll, we'll definitely do this thank again. Thank you as well. Thank you. Really, really great conversation. And I really appreciate the, the questions that you asked and, and the time that you've given me to, to be on the podcast. Oh, likewise, you've added so much value. And, and, and that's that's the thing. I mean, I was uh, we were talking about stats before, but three quarters of people listen to podcasts to learn something. And I, I imagine that there are a lot of people uh, either with sore thumbs right now because they've been typing on their phone <laughs> or uh, or indeed if you're a bit old school like me you've got a, a couple of pads full of notes now that you want to go and take a look at because there was a lot of value there Chris so thank you so much for joining us again uh, really hope our listeners have enjoyed this definitely check out the show notes and join it with Chris um, wow I mean my head is spinning there's a lot of information there it's, uh, it's going to be fascinating to listen to this back and I suggest you do the same uh, until next time take care of yourselves and um, yeah, take it easy. This is Billionaires in Boxes, empowering one billion entrepreneurs, one podcast at a time.